0: All right, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up or turn them on. We're in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. We're doing this series, uh, Warrior Prophet. Speaking of Samuel, we're slightly out of order uh, because I pulled the series back back now instead of at the start of Term 2. And we did that because we've got a DNA series that was planned now, but we haven't appointed our associate pastor yet. Um, We'll be able to tell you more about that next week. And so we've got some work to do before we get to that kind of vision series. So we've bumped that to the start of next term. So now we're doing Warrior Prophet now. Um, and first off the rank uh, for Warrior Prophet was going to be Ann Cutchie talking to us about Samuel's mother Hannah. Um, but three days was a little too short notice for um, for that. So we've we've shifted the the order around and we've got Ann next week, bringing us that beautiful beautiful story. Um, so we're starting in chapter two and three of 1 Samuel isn't this world that we're in now isn't it a messy place I don't know how you feel about the political scene in Australia or across the world anytime you kind of check if you're into politics at all or world leadership or um, or sociology uh, movements across society those sorts of things anytime you check the news now it's just alarming and depressing um, I find what's happening across our broader society and even closer to home in our family and friends in our workplaces often things are really tough even in the church sometimes we feel like it's a mess are there any situations in your life now um, like socially relationally more globally um, at work vocationally where you just think that is a mess well you're in good company with samuel comes wait till you hear what his world was like. Uh, Samuel Samuel was born into that period in Israel's history which is the end of the Judges. So if you you know your Bible chronology here, remember you had the people of Israel, they've come out of Egypt. So Moses has led them in the Exodus out of Egypt and then you've got Joshua who uh, leads them into the Promised Land and they have that kind of conquering victory and they claim a lot of that, well most of that, land as their own that way and then they hit, hit a period where they're just led by judges, by people God raises up. So, and the pattern is the people of Israel depart from God and they uh, worship idols and things like that and then they get oppressed by an enemy and then God raises up someone like Gideon who delivers them from their oppressors and returns people to the worship of God. And then they cycle down again and then God raises up another judge um, like Ehud or Deborah or someone, and who delivers them from their enemies, and then they. But Judges, if you read it, if you read it through, is a depressing cycle that is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. At the end of Judges, the last judge that we hear about is Samson, who is a total wombat. <laughs> he hardly acknowledges God at all. He's, he's entirely blinded by his lust and his pride and his, um, and even. You know, Samson, we all we kind of know the story of Samson with his, with his, um, with his big muscles and his hair and his you know, let me die with the Philistines, big climactic, I kill more people in my last act than I did in my whole um, warrior career. Um, but even then, his prayer is, God, give me vengeance on my enemies. <laughs> there's, there's hardly an acknowledgement of God in Samson's world at all. And he's the, he's the Israelite hero at the end of that uh, period. This is the period in Israel's history that Samuel, the boy, is born into. Um, it judges ends with that line, you know, in in those days Israel had no king and everybody did as they saw fit. It's just anarchy in Israel. Um, more than that, Samuel, as we'll hear about next week, Samuel is given to the temple in Shiloh to, um, to work there. He's... Uh, because his mother has promised the Lord that she would do that. So as soon as he's weaned, so he's like three or four years old, he's in the care of Eli, who's the priest at the temple in Shiloh. Now you'd think, oh, that's nice. At least it's the temple of God and it's a sanctuary and people are going to care for him there. Well, not so, because we read in Judges in um, 1 Samuel, and you can read through all this, that Eli is a nice enough guy, but he's weak and a little bit greedy and indulgent and whatever. And his sons are atrocious. They are corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. So people would bring sacrifices to God. So there's still God-fearing people in Israel. And they come to the temple at Shiloh and they, and they want to sacrifice to God. And they bring their their you know, animals to be able to sacrifice. And Hophni and Phinehas, that's Eli's sons, who are serving as priests with him, Often the will come along and go, I'll tell you what, I'll just get my three-pronged fork and I'll jab it into that thing and I'll pull it out and whatever comes out is for me and the rest is for God. And, and or they'd say, oh, before you boil that meat or put it in that pot, just give us the whole thing and we can roast it, which is totally not part of the system at all. Um, and they want the fat and all and if people protested and said well at least let us clean it up for the sacrifice they would just go no and they'd take it by force so people are just people are bringing sacrifices to God and these priests are just stealing it to eat and get fat more than that they're seducing the women who serve at the temple for sexual favors they're abusing their power as priests for their own sexual gratification This is the world that Samuel's born into and this is the temple that he's given to as a three and a four year old. You can imagine this little kid patting around after Eli. He's got a little robe like the priests wear. He trots around after Eli, helps where he can. His parents visit once a year and he gets a new coat from his mum each year and he serves the Lord by waiting on Eli. Now, Eli knows that his sons are corrupt. We need to get this background. Um, And he calls them in, especially when he hears that they've um, been using temple girls for sex and stuff like that. He calls them in and he says, you're sinning against God, but they don't stop. And he doesn't stop them. He actually says, if you sin against somebody else, God might forgive you, but who's going to forgive you if you sin against God? But they still don't stop, and he doesn't stop them. One day, a man of God comes to Eli. He's a prophet who's coming from God with this uh, word from God for Eli. We're going to pick this up in verse 27 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. One day, a man of God came to Eli and gave him this message from the Lord I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense. And to wear the priestly vest he has served me. And I assigned the sacrificial offerings to you, priests. So why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For they and you have become fat from the best offerings of my people, Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests. But I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I'll put an end to your family so it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel, but no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind and their hearts break and their children will die a violent death. And to prove what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful high priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be my priests to my anointed kings forever. Then all of your surviving family will bow down before him, begging for money and food. Please, they will say, give us jobs among the priests so we will have enough to eat. So Eli has received this message from God through the man of God that's come to see him. Next verse, Uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 1. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. In the early part of this narrative, this is all we get on Samuel. Meanwhile, Samuel served the Lord. All this other mess is happening around this boy, and meanwhile, Samuel serves the Lord. In fact, here are the mentions of Samuel so far. First after his mum and dad left him at the temple as an infant... Then Elkanah, that's his dad, returned home to Ramah without Samuel and the boy served the Lord by assisting Elo, Eli the priest. Then there's a whole description about how wicked Hophni and Phinehas are and then, verse 18, but Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. And after spanning a number of years with his parents visiting once a year, verse 21, meanwhile Samuel, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And if you have a look at your Bible timeline, again, this is, this is Samson's era. This is what's happening in Israel. The Philistines, this, this military threat is growing now. And they're, they're coming, they're rising as a power and they're threatening um, Israel that way. And, and, and Samson is doing his whole kind of, you know, he killed all those people just with the jawbone of an of a ox. He's this, this super powerful um, person he got, has got superhuman strength that God's given him with his long hair, and he's abusing that everywhere, being totally led astray. So there's this kind of, that's what's happening in, in that part. But also, if you read the end of Judges, you'll get the most horrific description of anarchy anywhere in the Bible. Judges 19 to 21, it is horrific. Let me tell you the story, some of the story in brief. There's a Levite, and he's traveling through the country, Samuel's about probably four, five or six now, growing up in this corrupt temple when this is happening. This is Levite is travelling through the country of Israel. He stops in this um, town in, in the tribe of Benjamin. He stops there to try and get lodgings for the night. He's got with him his concubine, wife. It's hard to know what the text actually means. Deliberately obscure. It's a lady that he's doing life with. He's just spent actually a couple of days with the her father so he's been at the family home and they're doing all their family stuff like that and then he's traveled with her through and he's and he stopped at this town in benjamin he's waiting in the square which is the custom in that culture for someone to offer them lodgings for the night and this old guy comes into the square and says ah don't stay here come and be um quick just whatever you do don't stay here so they go back to this old guy's house and now, this old guy, who we find has got a virgin daughter with him, and this Levite and his partner, and now in the house. And this angry mob of men from that city, they, they know, they saw this guy in the square. So they come to the house, bang, bang, bang on the door, bring out that man so we can have sex with him. Not like, so we can be romantic, right? This is like, so we can use him as it, like, we want to gang rape that man that came out, that, that is in your house... And the guy says, don't do this wicked thing because this man is a guest in my house and you would breach the honor code of my house by damaging my guest. That's an interesting interpretation of the wicked thing in that space. But they just pound, bring him out, bring him out, bring him out. It's just threatened. In the end, the guy, the Levite, who has just spent a couple of days with his father-in-law and... And his partner grabs his partner and shoves her out the door and then closes the door behind him. And they rape her and rape her and rape her and rape her, all of them. And then she crawls back to the threshold of the door with her hand on the threshold and she dies on the porch because the door is shut and doesn't open. This is the nation of Israel. The reason this story is in the Bible is to show us, oh my goodness, how far the people of God have departed from God and that triggers this levi. He comes out and he goes, This is horrible, how could such a horrible thing be done in Israel? Like, yeah, everybody else's fault, mate. And he cuts that lady up into 12 pieces and sends them out to the tribes of Israel. They go, this is a terrible thing. It sparks a civil war. Tens of thousands of Israelites die. They attempt the genocide of the whole Benjamite tribe. This This is the world. Civil war, genocide that Samuel grows up in. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up. In the presence of the Lord. And in the sanctuary, in the house of God, where people come to offer sacrifices and connect with God, it's corruption and greed and priests abusing their power for sex, for gluttony, for pleasure in the house of God, where Samuel lived from when he was three or four years old. And here's another general comment about Samuel in verse 26 of chapter 2. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and grew in favour with the Lord and with people. And now in chapter 3, after the man of God's pronouncement of doom for Eli's family, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. You get this picture of this little kid against the world. One little bright light in the mess. I don't know how small or frail or helpless you feel in your world. Except it's not one kid against the world. God is on his throne. And he moves the nations and he crafts the sunrise and he puts the stars into place and his plans are unstoppable and he's looking for someone to move through. And he's found humble hearts in Samuel's parents and now in this boy. And Samuel's in the middle of this big mess and he's got nothing except a humble willingness to be available to the creator of the universe, which is far from the easy road as Samuel's going to find out. So we, we've got so far all this mess, meanwhile Samuel serves the Lord, meanwhile Samuel serves the Lord, meanwhile Samuel serves the Lord, now, now in those days messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. So Samuel sleeps right near the Ark of the Covenant, in the, which is the, um, the visible uh, pre, um, reminder of the presence of God for the people of Israel. And yet, messages from the Lord are very rare. Visions are quite uncommon. And I don't know if Samuel heard that man of God's pronouncement against Eli. Probably not. Um, and so he's got no idea that Samuel talks to, that God talks to anyone like that. He's just chugging along, serving faithfully. Um, now we go from. Here's the general narrative about how bad everything is. Now our focus comes into one night, one encounter that Samuel's going to have that's going to shift his life. One night, verse 2 of chapter 3, one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel, yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied, go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called again, Samuel. Again Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you. My son Eli said, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Uh, now, put yourself in Eli 's shoes here. Uh, you know what's going on in the house of God. You've already had this pronouncement um, from the man of God, and now your servant, your boy, who is there you know to do the runaround stuff for you, is hearing from lord this is not an encouraging sign (laughs) for eli but eli he's a complex character we'll get to that later he wishes no harm on samuel he certainly doesn't want to fight god verse nine so he said to samuel go and lie down again if someone calls again if someone calls again say speak lord your servant is listening So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel, twice this time. Some some interpreters see significance in that naming of, you know, I see you, I know you, it's you that I'm talking to. And Samuel replied, speak Lord, your servant is listening. Now, listen to the first thing God tells Samuel. (laughs) When you say, I really would love God to speak to me, I've thought this lots of times. God, I'm here now. Speak to me. You know what I want? I want oh, all sorts of things that are actually about me when it comes down to it. I want validation. I want to know that you love me. I want to know who I am to you. I want to know what your plans are for me. I, 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 want, to, I want to hear what you want me to do. I, you know what I mean? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I want to be the person that you made me to be, and I want to and I want to make sure I'm in the center of what you're doing, and I want, and I want, and I want, you know what I mean? We have that kind of, speak, Lord, to me. And Samuel's a, he's an important guy. Like, You know when God speaks to Abraham, and he just says, I'll make you a father of uh, all these, you know, that kind of message, you're hoping maybe for Samuel here. Like, you know, I'm calling you, Samuel, to be a mighty warrior prophet to lead this nation. Your name's going to feature in the history of my people. Your biographers will record not one but two books detailing your heroic actions, that kind of thing. In fact, Samuel was one book to start with. It only got divided later because of the length of what could fit on a scroll. But is that what we think of when, when we think of God calling us? God, what are your plans for me? Do great and mighty things through me. Show me what you want me to do. For Samuel, though, the only time God used his name, actually, was to get his attention. Samuel! Samuel! Listen to the message. Then the Lord said to Samuel... uh, Next one. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I've warned him that judgment's coming on his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sons of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. End of message. <laughs> How do you like that for your first message from God? Hey, Mr. Apprentice, listen, listen. Your boss and his family are toast. Just remember this when you think, I wish God would speak to me. Because God speaks according to His purposes, not mine. God speaks to align us with His will, not ours. You've probably had this experience Uh, in a micro way if you've ever been arguing with someone and you are so sure that you're right um i usually am (laughs) sure that i'm right that is so you go to god and you go god you need to intervene right so speak but you you find out quickly god doesn't take sides he takes over It's about his will. It's about what he's going to do. He speaks to align us with his purposes. And in Samuel's case, he just hears from God that his whole world is doomed. All of Samuel's sustenance, actually, is wrapped up in the temple and in the house of Eli. He's the apprentice, he's got nothing else. So Samuel stayed in bed until morning. No, it doesn't say Samuel went back to sleep because I think he probably did. <laughs> he probably didn't. He stayed in bed till morning and he got up and opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. Really? But Eli called out to him, Samuel, my son, here I am. Samuel replied, What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything. Hmm. It seems that Eli suspected the Lord's message was about him and not good. Samuel is afraid and this is a test. What will he do? His whole career, life, food, identity, everything. Maybe Eli senses his fear so he ups the ante. He says, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. He's faithful with the message that God had given him. And Eli says, it's the Lord's will. Let him do what he thinks is best. How do you like this guy? It's hard to tell if he's apathetic or fatalistic or resigned or just worn out. Probably a bit of all these. Don't be like Eli. Let's not be like Eli. He knows the theory. He's a priest. He values God, sort of. He believes God. But he won't obey. He he loves his family more than God. He loves his food more more than God don't be like Eli who says he honours God but chooses everything over God and then God rejects him utterly be like Samuel verse 19 as Samuel grew up the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be what? Reliable. What does that mean? It just means Samuel is just passing on what God says. And this whole story is highlighting, and you'll, you'll catch this when you hear Hannah's um, song of rejoicing or prayer as well. This whole story is about God seeking someone who will be humble and go God is God. Someone who will who will not who will not be chasing their own agenda but will be after the agenda of God. Someone who's not trying to advance their own station in life but wants to celebrate God's movement among his people. All Israel from Dan to the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and give messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. And now Samuel's hearing from God all the time. That's why everything he says is reliable. And the influence of the Lord grows in Israel through his humble servant Samuel. So let me close with these thoughts. Your circumstances are not bigger than God. not in any part of our life. And if we're willing to let God turn our world upside down, we can humble ourselves and be willing vessels for whatever God wants to do through us. So in the midst of the world around us this week, let's humble our hearts and focus our eyes on our living hope, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we know that you are not intimidated by movements across this world. We know that you are not afraid. God. We, are, we know that you are not scrambling or struggling or out of control. We know, Lord, that you sit on your throne and you move where you will. And you're looking, looking, always looking for humble hearts who will hear you and align our lives with what you're doing and bring life and hope and joy into the mess of this world and god we want to be those people so help us this week to be conscious of you and to be ready to hear you and to move where you say for the sake of your name we ask in jesus name amen